All right, it's me again. Sorry about that. I want to thank the band for their ministry to us this morning. Blessing to sing together. Turn in your, in your Bibles to the book of First Peter. First Peter, we're in chapter 2. This is part of a series that we've called Still Standing. So who remembers 1984? Not the or- Orwellian novel, but the year 1984. I was nine years old. That got a lot of groans in the first service. There was a song that got a lot of airplay that year. It was written and performed by John Cougar Mellencamp, and the rather repetitious chorus of that song was, I fight authority, authority always wins. Remember that song? I fight authority, authority always wins. I think the title of that song was Authority Song. And I don't think John Mellencamp knew the profound theological significance of that lyric. And what do I mean by that? Well, you see, there is in the heart of every sinner rebellion against authority. The first sin in the garden, talking Genesis chapter 3, that act of disobedience was a declaration of war against authority. The Creator God had declared all of His creation good. He informed man that that the earth was filled with good things to eat, and they could eat any and all of it, all except the fruit of one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God had created man. He's a good God. In his benevolence, he had given man all that he needed to, to thrive and to flourish, but that flourishing was contingent upon submission. Don't eat from the tree that God said not to eat from. And you've read the book, you know the story, man failed to submit to God's lordship. Adam and Eve, they were tempted to eat, they were told to doubt and question God's authority, and that's all it really took for them to fall into sin. They fought authority, they rebelled. And that same rebel heart that Adam and Eve displayed in rejecting God's God's authority, it still lurks in all of us. There is in man a fundamental disregard for authority. You see it all the time. You see it in an infant who who can't yet even speak, but who stiffens his body in anger because he's not getting his way. You see it in a five-year-old who refuses to do something that his kindergarten teacher is asking him to do. You see it in the teenager who longs for independence fundamentally because they want out from underneath parental authority. You see it in a worker who chafes against his boss, who who hates to be told what to do. You see it in the man who who takes pleasure in cheating on his taxes. You see it every day in traffic as, as laws are ignored and thought to be for everyone else besides you. I fight authority. That should be the humble confession made by all of us. We're all guilty of this. We fight authority, but authority always wins. And and the Bible makes that second truth clear as well. Yes, the story starts with rebellion against authority, with fight against authority, but the Bible marches to a moment at the end of history where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's, It's a long narrative, and the primary topic is authority and how ultimate authority is going to win. 
And so now, in our study of 1 Peter, as Peter is pressing deeply the truth of the gospel into the hearts of these believers that he's writing to, these believers in the northern region of Asia Minor, one of the major themes that emerges is this issue of authority. And you can't talk about authority without talking about everybody's favorite word, submission. Thank you. And so with this message today, we start into what will be four sermons on submission. The word for submission shows up repeatedly in, in the next several passages. Submission actually finds its way into the, into the entire rest of the book, either explicitly or implicitly. And so this is very much an emphasis for Peter. And that's interesting when you think about Peter. I'm just going to read a passage that I took from David Helm. I was studying this week, and, and he pointed this out. He said, learning this lesson didn't come overnight for Peter. Do you remember the night Jesus was betrayed in the garden? Peter brought a sword that night. He thought this was the hour for action, and he cut off the ear of the one who had come to arrest his Lord. But now, decades later, as an older and wiser man, Peter says to us, in essence, I have put that sword away. God has given a sword to the state, but except for the word of God, the sword of the Spirit, the church is to keep it hers sheathed. For Peter, preaching from the Bible was enough. It cut to the bone and marrow of the harshest in authority. Peter had learned his lesson. He is now free to submit. And so today, we'll look at submission to the state. Next week, submission in the workplace. And then after that, submission in the home. That'll be a word to both husbands and wives, likely two sermons, one to husbands, one to wives. Husbands, make sure your wives are here on April 28th. <laughs> wives, make sure your husbands are here on, I think, May 5th. A word for each of you. But let's read today's passage. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Inspired of the Holy Spirit, Peter writes, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. This is the word of the Lord. So we Americans, we live in a country that was founded upon a revolution. And in which defiance of government uh, or governmental authority is viewed as a basic constitutional privilege. At the end of the 1700s, Benjamin Franklin, he proposed the following design for the reverse side of the great seal of the United States. I'll just describe it to you. His proposal was Pharaoh sitting in an open chariot, a crown on his head and a sword in his hand, passing through the divided waters of the Red Sea in pursuit of the Israelites. Rays from a pillar of fire in the cloud, expressive of the divine presence, beaming on Moses, who stands on the shore and extending his hand over the sea, causes it to engulf Pharaoh. The motto Franklin proposed to be embossed over the scene, 
Rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. Franklin was a deist, not an evangelical Christian, but his sentiment, rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God, that is shared by many committed Christians today. Many evangelicals accept that the American Revolution was the proper resistance to corrupt authority. And if I polled the congregation this morning, most of you would probably say, yeah, dumping the tea in the harbor was the right thing to do. But the fact that I could genuinely ask that question, I think, shows a relevance to this topic, to this passage. What is the proper relationship of Christian citizens toward their government? Those to whom Peter wrote, they lived with a government and they lived within a society that was not at all favorable toward the Christian faith. Not at all. Both Peter and Paul were executed at the hands of the Roman tyrant Nero. It was not until the 4th century under Constantine that Christianity was afforded legitimacy and protection by the Roman government. Peter has just stated in the verses that we looked at last week, verses 11 and 12, Peter stated the general principle that Christians are to live holy lives as aliens and strangers on this earth. They're to be exemplary. But he's also saying we're not permanent residents here. We're pilgrims, sojourners moving toward heaven. And therefore, it would have been easy for his readers to conclude that we have no civic responsibility here on earth. It would have been easy for them to conclude that they could disregard and disobey human government since they were not citizens of earth. They were citizens of heaven. And so Peter, anticipating this line of thinking, he counters that wrong conclusion by showing how Christian citizens must live. Christians must live as good citizens, submitting to human government, which is why I'm calling this message a theology of citizenship. And we'll look at five ideas as we seek to understand submission uh, as Christian citizens. The principle, the motivation, the reason, the paradox, and then the application. First, the principle. Peter begins with a simple, clear statement. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Very clear, very, extremely far-reaching language being used here. Language that unarguably states that we are to submit to those in authority. As, as Americans, we read this verse and we think it only applies really to those with a king or an emperor maybe. Therefore, we tend to dismiss this command since, you know, we haven't had a king since 1776. Absolute monarchies are just so 17th century. That's what we think. So let me rephrase this verse to, to make it more applicable. Submit yourselves to Donald Trump and to the Supreme Court and to the judiciary and to Congress and to Governor Kevin Stitt and the Oklahoma State Legislature and to the State Highway Patrol and the local police and to the mayor's office and to the principal at the school your children attend. And on and on I could go to every human institution. That list could be greatly extended. Pretty soon it would make you gag. Some people, you might be gagging already as I read that. And the truth is, we, we all live under multiple layers of authority. And it's very likely that we won't like some of the people in authority. Or we won't like some of the laws they pass or the decisions that they make. There will always be leaders we don't trust. Laws we don't agree with. 
taxes we don't want to pay. What do we do then? Well, Peter's answer is very clear. We submit. The word submit is a military term that literally means to get in line. Even if we don't like the rules, we get in line. Note how specific he is. We're not only to obey the king, but also any governors, referring to to all the various levels of authority sent by him. And there are no exceptions, which that's kind of the part that gives us trouble. Most of us understand that that lines of authority are necessary for society to to function and to work well, but, but whenever we read a text like this, we almost immediately start saying to ourselves, yeah, but what about... And we quickly have a, a, a dozen yeah buts. And they, they, they completely gut the meaning of Peter's words. We shouldn't do that. Be a submissive people. Not a revolting, obnoxious, rebellious people. Now granted, there will be moments when government or, or whatever authority over us will impose something on us that, that, that will uh, ask us or, or, or uh, force us to violate God's commands. That has happened in history to the people of God. It will happen again. Likely in this country it will happen if it hasn't happened already. And when that happens, we submit to the Lord, not to government. But in doing that, in submitting to the Lord and not to government, in doing that, we we brace for and, and we fully accept whatever consequences the earthly authority brings against us. You see that? We don't revolt, we obey God and submit to the consequences. So even in our lack of submission, we end up submitting. That's our posture. The Bible gives us examples of this, most notably Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3 with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember those three men would, would not bow to the statue of the king, and because they would not bow and worship to the king, they were thrown into the fiery furnace. They didn't lead a revolt. They didn't stir up the masses or or protest the unjust nature of the law. They chose not to obey it, and then they boldly faced the consequences that that were brought against them. The subjects of the Roman Empire, the, the, the people that this letter was written to, they had more reasons to despise and distrust and revolt against the emperor than just about anyone in human history. The emperor, the Roman emperor, was seen as a divine figure. People across the empire, they were ordered to worship him. Lord Caesar, they called him. And to make matters even worse, the emperor at the time of this writing, as I said before, it would have been Nero. Nero, who was diabolical in his treatment of Rome's subjects, particularly his treatment of Christian people. Peter is giving them this command with Nero in view. And it's still unequivocal. Submit yourself. No room is made for, for, yeah, but Nero. No room for, for, yeah, but the Democrats. No no room for, yeah, but my civil liberties at stake. We start with the command. That's where we start. We get it clearly in mind, and only then will we be able to properly deal with the exceptions. If we start with the, yeah, but whatabouts, we end up emptying this command of its meaning. When functioning properly, as you know, governments are to promote good and to punish evil. Our text points this out to us. They're, they're to keep order and to, and to serve the general welfare of the people. And given this function, government is actually a gift of God's common grace. It is. Government's a gift to us. 
And I call it grace because, because society needs to be governed. Human beings, being sinners, must be governed. I like what Philip DeCourcy wrote in his book, Take Cover. He wrote, you might consider government a necessary evil, but the truth is it's necessary because of evil. It's a great turn of phrase. And so as long as sin still lives inside of me, I need restraint. I need to be protected from me and from other sinners. I need laws around me that guide and preserve me. I need people who will enforce those laws so I'm not forced to myself. That's a blessing. If you acknowledge humbly that you're still a sinner, then you must also acknowledge the blessing of authority as it's expressed in government. There's a writer, Craig Brian Larson. He writes this, In the early 1990s, the leaning tower of Pisa began to lean too far. Engineers uh, concerned... that the 180-foot-high tower might soon list to a point of great danger, set about devising a system to salvage the famous landmark by holding the lean constant. First, the engineers stabilized the ground around the tower by injecting cold liquid nitrogen into the ground to freeze it and thereby largely preventing any dangerous ground vibrations during the project. The second phase involved installing a network of underground cables that would steady the tower and pull it towards center by at least an inch. In making application, Craig Brian Larson notes, left to itself, our world resembles the leaning tower of pizza. Pizza. (laughs) Pizza. (laughs) Honestly, didn't mean to do that. (laughs) Our world resembles the leaning tower of pizza tilting and heading to catastrophe. To prevent total anarchy, God establishes governments to maintain order. Governments and their laws function like steel cables that will hold the leaning tower. The tower still leans. It is not perfect, but the cables prevent total destruction. That's the use of government. That's the use of of the institution of the family, of the church. We are We are like rebar. We're reinforcements to hold the culture upright. So that's the principle. We are to submit, not blindly or naively, but unequivocally to those who are in authority. What's the motivation for our submissive posture as citizens? The motivation, also in verse 13, it says our submission is for the Lord's sake, which means this. Our submission to government isn't just to be peaceable and get along. No, no, no. We we have a distinctly Christian motive when we submit. And that's because there is a direct connection between the people in authority over us and, and God Almighty, who is our ultimate authority. There's a direct connection. You know, we may tend to look at a teacher who frustrates us or a, a boss who seems like he doesn't have a clue, and we may think that they sort of stand alone in the universe, that that by chance they ended up in that position of authority. But that is not true. They, they exist as they are and, and where they are by God's permission. If God did not will it, that teacher would not teach. That boss would not be a boss. That governor would not govern. None of them rule apart from him. Romans 13.1 says it plainly. Everyone must submit to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. Paul goes on. The authorities that exist have been established by God. 
We submit to authority because God has commanded us to do so, and that's because God established all human authority. We submit for the Lord's sake. That's our real motivation. You see, Peter and Paul, you know, they cannot comprehend any kind of separation between human authority and the authority of God. God is not detached. He's not watching from afar. He is involved. Peter's model is this. To submit to human authority is to submit to the authority of God. Which means you cannot say, I love God's authority, but I hate human authority. That doesn't work. That's a denial of both God's authority and human authority. So let me ask you. In the places where you live and work every day, do you love authority? Are you glad for an employer that tells you what to do? Are you glad for civil laws that govern your industry? Do you love speed limits because you recognize they protect you? Do you love authority? It's funny, I've never had one of my children come to me and say, Dad, one of the things I love most about you is your authority. If you would just tell me what to do more, that would be so helpful. It's never happened. But I've had lots of arguments. If you're a parent, you're, you're exhausted over authority arguments. It's amazing. It's amazing how even the littlest command is an occasion for debate. No, Dad, that's not exactly what you said. What you said was, if a child is debating your syntax, they do not love your authority. They're looking for some kind of escape, some kind of logic, some kind of way out. And that's why we have to, to hear the, the all-inclusive nature of this call. You must submit to every human institution. Presidents, bosses, governors, game wardens, city planners, parents, senators. There's a story of the minister who was pressed for time and, and not finding a parking space he parked in a no-parking zone and, and, and put a note on his windshield. The note said, I've circled the block ten times. I have an appointment to keep. Forgive us our trespasses. <laughs> when he returned, he found a citation on his windshield, a citation that accompanied this note. I've circled this block for ten years. If I don't give you a ticket, I lose my job. Lead us not into temptation. Everywhere God has established authority, everywhere God has established authority, your calling is to joyfully, willfully, as an act of worship to him, submit. Is that your heart? Be honest this morning. Is it? How's your view of God? Which is to say, are you, are you quite committed in your belief to God's sovereignty? If you're here at Faith Bible Church, likely you are. Yet this week, you will, you will chafe against how that sovereignty is exercised by some local authority who tells you something you hadn't planned to do. You will chafe as you send in your taxes this week. So just keep in mind this motivation in verse 13, for the Lord's sake. Every act of submission is an act of worship. When you subject yourself, you're saying, God, you have put this authority in place I'm trusting you. You are good. Your sovereignty is a blessing. I'm trusting you for the Lord's sake.
But there's also a reason alongside this motivation. Notice verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Why does God want us to be submissive? For such is the will of God. It's the will of God. People say, oh, I wish I knew the will of God. Well, here it is. It's right here. What does God want from me? What is, what, what is the will of God? The will of God is that you obey, submitting yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution. That's the will of God. But why? Every child asks that. Why? That by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. The word silence is to gag, it's to muzzle or restrain. It's a strong, strong word. It means to stop the mouth so that there's nothing left to say. Just gag them. So the the will of God is that by your dignity and well-doing and righteous conduct and good citizenship, you gag the critics. This is really, really important. Because you do realize right now that much of what Christians are doing is simply making things worse. The critics are finding more and more to, to criticize believers for. More and more salacious and seditious conduct is being uncovered. But we, we are to silence the ignorant by doing the will of God. So, so even this issue of submission, even the way you respond to the authorities in your life, you must consider this to be gospel work. Because remember, you're, you're positioned as one of God's ambassadors. That's what the previous text was telling us. You're positioned as one of God's representatives. You're living as God's representative before a watching world. It was said of the popular 19th century English author William Arnott, it was said his preaching is good, his writing is better, his living is best of all. I like that. You are living before a watching world. It says here, you're living before the ignorance of foolish people. What is Peter talking about with that phrase? Well, he's talking about Psalm 14.1. The fool has said in his heart what? There is no God. So not by theological argumentation do you convince the atheist of the gospel. That's a real challenge, one you should prepare for. But you actually silence that person's folly by the way you live your life. Because in your submission, you tangibly demonstrate the protection and the blessing, the joy of living under authority. Because what does the person who says there is no God want? They want no authority. They want no one lord over them or telling them what to do. Our submission is a demonstration that that we, unlike the world around us, can submit to all authorities without anxiety, without fear, because we trust the ultimate sovereign authority and we are at peace with him. Remember what happened in Daniel 3 with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember King Nebuchadnezzar, he he changed his tune. When, When the three men were not consumed by the fire... The king declared to the entire empire, he said, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. 
Let's talk about a swing. They didn't revolt. They didn't, they didn't mount up and, and go in and attack. They submitted. The reason we submit is it can, it can convince a watching world that what we profess is genuine and it's true. Let's move to the next point. The paradox. Verse 16 says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Most people think that, that freedom and submission are opposites. We assume that if we choose submission, that means we give up freedom. And conversely, if we choose freedom, we don't have to submit anymore. Peter would argue that this life of submission is, in fact, a life of freedom. So what's he saying? He's saying you've been given freedom in Christ. You've been given freedom from the weight of the law, freedom from bondage to sin, freedom from, from, from slavery to the world. But, but none of that freedom is freedom from authority because freedom from authority would never be freedom. Adam and Eve, go back to them again. When they stepped outside of God's authority, they did not achieve freedom. Immediately there was, there was acrimony. Immediately they were driven out of the garden. They had an immediate loss of freedom, didn't they? In the first generation following the rebellion, you have sibling homicide. A few chapters down the road, you have God looking at the chaos and, and brokenness of the world saying, enough already. And he sends this global flood to, to wipe the world clean. None of that looks like freedom. So hear this. Absolute human autonomy, it never results in, in, in freedom. It's a delusion. And so Peter says, real freedom is found in being a servant to God, in being a bond slave to Jesus. So when you say, not my will, but yours be done, now you're living exactly as you were meant to live in true freedom. Martin Luther, the great reformer, he put it this way, a Christian is a Lord of all, subject to none. Oh, we like that, don't we? And then he goes on, a Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant, subject to everyone. And what is Luther pointing out? He's pointing out that we are both free and bound at the same time. And so what does this mean, sort of in practical terms? It means we pay taxes because in the ultimate scheme of things, money doesn't really matter. God matters. It means we vote, but we don't lose our spiritual equilibrium if our candidate doesn't win. Politics is, not, politics is not the final measure of life. Candidates come and go. No one serves forever. In the ultimate scheme of things, politics doesn't matter. God matters. We obey the speed limit, not because it's the most important thing in the world, but because, you know, compared to big issues, it doesn't matter. God matters. We, we honor those over us, not always because we like them, but because they're here temporarily, and they don't really matter that much anyway. God matters. We follow dumb orders cheerfully because they don't matter. God matters. Last point, application. Peter ends as Peter often does. Remember, this is not an academic, intellectual man. This is a fisherman. And he sometimes writes that way. And so he ends with a very clear directive. What does it really mean to live this way? He tells us in a sort of rapid-fire rapid summary statement there in verse 17. 
Honor everyone. So you treat everyone with respect. Rich, poor, black, white, Republican, Democrat, Christian, non-Christian, prisoner, free person. Everyone is made in the image of God and deserves to be shown honor. And boy, is this an issue today, isn't it? Civility and mutual respect in the public square has all but evaporated. Christians need to counter that lack of civility with a kind of radical civility, with a kind of of honor toward our fellow man that's unmatched in the world. We're to be grand examples of showing honor. We really are. How else will it show up? Love of the brotherhood. Treat your brothers and sisters in Christ with with a particular kind of love, which means in in the church, step beyond just honor, step into loving. You know, the world needs an example. The world needs an example and what it really looks like to love. What, What better place to look for that example than the church of Jesus Christ? Francis Schaeffer, the great apologist of the 20th century, he said the church's greatest apologetic is the way it loves one another. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Live every day in awe of God's presence and his authority. He is ultimate. You and nothing about you is ultimate. Fear God. Don't fear man. Fear God. And then honor the king. Be thankful for government and gladly submit to its demands. For without it, sin would run rampant. If you're anything like me, you're probably convicted by these verses. You don't always love authority. There are places where where you want your own way. There are occasions where you don't love God's law and you don't love the way God's authority is exercised in human authority. And so you need to say once again, Father, I need your help. There still is inside of me the heart of a rebel. And you need to locate where your real hope is found. Not in control or autonomy or what you think freedom to be. Your hope is found in Jesus Christ. Jesus the God-man who did what? Who modeled submission for us. Didn't he? Jesus submitted to his father's authority. And in submitting to his father's authority, he submitted himself to human authority of all things. The God-man, the second member of the Trinity, the person of the Son, Jesus Christ, submitted himself to human authority. Read Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. A striking descent downward into submission you see there. He even submitted himself to human injustice. He was willing to be wrongly condemned, willing to be tortured, willing to have the vilest of human authority exercised against him so that that in his submission, our rebel hearts could be transformed into being submissive people. So that there will be a day for all of us when we stand in that company of people from every tribe and tongue and nation and we no longer want our own way, but we confess that as King of kings and Lord of lords, he has all authority on heaven and earth and under the earth. And that's a confession we're going to make for millions and millions and millions of years. So, so that submission of heart, friends, it has to start today. 
Run to your Savior today. Run to your substitute and say to him, I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I need my heart to be transformed. I'm a a bad Lord. I am underqualified for the role of Lord of my life. I need you to be in charge and not me. Lord, there are times when I get it right, but there are times when I get it so wrong. Won't you, once again, deliver me from this body of death by your grace and for your glory? If you've never prayed that prayer, I would encourage you to do that for the first time this morning. Give your heart to him. Give yourself to him. Submit fully. Life is only found when you abandon your lordship and give way to his lordship. When you surrender your sin for his saving grace. Don't fight God's authority. You'll lose. His authority always wins. Let's pray together. Father, in coming to you now, I just praise you and love you. Thank you for this this gathering of people, this time that we've had in here this morning. Lord, I thank you for the songs that we've sung. I pray that they've risen to you and and been a pleasing aroma. I thank you for the encouragement that's already taken place as I've watched people interact and enjoy one another. Lord, I thank you for this time in the Word. And Lord, I pray that the Spirit would illuminate our hearts toward these things in a profound way. I thank you that you've given us this passage to apply in this specific place, in this specific time, in a particular way. Move on us all. If there's anyone here that's never given their hearts ultimately to you, never surrendered to your lordship and to your authority, Lord, I pray that 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 person would do that before they leave here this morning. Send us out of here by your grace. Send us out of here exemplary people, submissive, preaching to a watching world who we really trust in, our good God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.